You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. But uh, as I was saying, you know, we started a series a few weeks back called The Eye of the Storm, and it's based out of the book of Daniel. And uh, we live in turbulent times, not just now, but even as Mark alluded to, all the time. And how do we navigate that? How do we navigate the world that we live in? We can't just check out. And the Bible, here's where the Bible really is practical in teaching us how to not only navigate and survive this world, but the Bible actually says that we can thrive in turbulent times as well. How many of you guys want to make it through this world just kind of just eking by? And how many of us really want to live in this world, and make a dent in it before we leave. Hopefully, we want to be part of the latter. Amen? That our lives are meant to be impactful. Our lives are meant to be meaningful. And a few weeks back, we talked about that. We talked about Larry Krabs and how he described what this life is. And he says, basically, it narrows down to two things that what we want. We want love in this life, and we want significance in this life. We want to know that we're loved. We're not alone. And number two, we want to have an impact. We want to leave this world and go, you know what? I did something. I don't have to be recognized for it, but I did something. I made a difference in this world, thriving in turbulent times. And last week, I heard Chas did a great job talking about aliens. We're aliens here. We're sojourners. This is shorts. This is a, a very, James says that we're here, we're a mist, and we're gone tomorrow. Okay, so we're working on a very limited uh, amount of time here. I want to give a little plug to this uh, thing called the Bible Project. And this is, again, in, in, in hopes that we can deepen our Bible knowledge. These guys are awesome. They, they take contribution, but they make uh, these videos that, to be honest with you, if you go back and take a look at the part on Daniel, you learn so much more from them in eight minutes about just what... The book of Daniel is all about them if you read all the commentaries uh, for the next three days. They've done a great job. So go back and check out the Bible Project, and you're going to get a lot out of it. Today we're going to talk about Daniel, particularly about pressure, learning how to deal with pressure. How many of us feel pressure in our lives? If you don't, you're not being honest. Or if you don't, maybe this is a temporary moment in your life where you don't feel pressure. But I, get, I do guarantee you that it will come. Maybe a little pressure that leads up to something big. But it will come. You know, as we look at the book of, of, of Daniel, we also understand that what? That it's, it's part of history. We're not reading a Bible that is just mythology or something that has no proof whatsoever. They found tablets where these inscriptions of Babylonian, they call it the Babylonian Chronicles, where these are the inscriptions of the exploits of the Babylonians and the places that they conquer and the people that they took over. And the point of this is what? That we're dealing with real world history here. We're not talking about some remote little place that we've never heard about. The Babylonians were a world conqueror in their day, perhaps the greatest empire of their time during that, that day. Today, I want to talk about under pressure. And as Mark alluded to, and for some of you guys who are under 40, this is called a record album. 
And um, they used to come in these. It's called vinyls. And um, if you need some of this, uh, Scott Horton's got a whole collection of these that he still uses today. But these are called the 45s, and he had the longer one. Queen and David Bowie wrote this pivotal song called Under Pressure that I think it crosses all generations. I think everybody heard of this song in one shape, way, form, or another because it speaks so much to what we go through. That in this life, you will have problems. In this life, you will have trials. That's a given. But how we handle that really says a lot about who we are. Not in the good days, not when things are going well, when we're well fed, but when things are tough. And the book of Daniel was written really in the, you know, they, they really said it spanned about 100 years or so. It was written about 600 B.C. But, but the, the theme of it is eternal. It speaks volume today and tomorrow and to the end of time. But it's not relegated only to the Bible times because people in the world understand this problem. But thank be to God that we have a chance to really learn from Scripture how to handle these things and to thrive in this world that we live in today. My favorite song, well, one of my favorite songs of all time, go back and check out YouTube, probably with the best music video of all time as well, because it resonates, it resonates, so powerful. You know, it says, pressure pushing down on me, pressing down on you. No man asks for it. We don't ask for it. This is our modern-day prophet. Under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, put people on the streets. Perhaps these three big guys, Freud, Darwin, and Marx, no big fan of Christianity, but yet what they discovered in their own studies resonate what we know scripturally as well. Perhaps it is no accident then that many of the thinkers pivotal to the 20th century describe life as a process of conflict and struggle. Accept it. That's just the way it is. And maybe you're in a teenage, you know, maybe your struggle is not as big as some of the marrieds, you know, that they got to pay their bills, they got to take care of their kids, they got to put all these things on the table. But it will come. It will come. Whether from a secular perspective or from a biblical perspective, trials will come. Are you, am I prepared? Are you prepared for what is coming? I love this. Job, Old Testament. Yet man is born to troubles as surely as sparks fly upwards. It's going to come. Second Corinthians, New Testament. We're going to read. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Paul speaking about his work. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despair of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We see a glimpse of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about, hey, look, you know, yeah, we want, we want to thrive in this life. But the, at the end of the day, what our hope is what? That we have eternal life. That this life is important, but it's not the most important. 
And that what we live for is yet to come. In Timothy, to his young evangelists, he gives this advice for Timothy to teach to all the churches. He says, Timothy, you know about me. You know the struggles that I go through. It's not academic. It's not on a piece of paper. You've seen what I go through. He says, the persecution, we're going to pick up in the middle, I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We live in a so-called Christian society. Right? Not like the Middle East. Or not like, for the most part, in Asia. But yet, Paul said what? If we live a genuine Christian life, we will be persecuted. That's a good measure of how we're doing even in our relationship with God. Not my words, but Paul's word. Paul says, if you live a Christian life, if you live a godly life, not even Christian, you will be persecuted. How's, how's, have we got any persecution lately? Are we just kind of blending in just like everybody else? Have we said anything that maybe stirred up a few things? Some truth? Take a stand for something? Or it's been a while. Have we got in there, wrestle with our friends, and studied scriptures with people and go, you know what? I, I love you, man. Got to take a look at this. But we're not as eager as we once were. But Paul said what? Everyone, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. No exemption here. You know, pressure does a few things to people. It can either crush you, which it will, but the crushing will either produce something incredible or it's going to destroy us. I got good news for you today. I got a secret recipe on how to make diamonds. And I want to share that with you today. It's easy. Four steps. You see, coal's really abundant. It's so abundant that it's really actually not very good for the environment, okay? But it's the same element that's used to make diamond. Did you know that? But here's how you do it. You take carbon and you bury it down. Somehow, some way, you bury it down into the manta of the, of, of the earth. Past the, past the crust. You bury it down a hundred miles deep. And you heat it up to about 2,200 degrees. And you let the pressure of 725 pounds per, per square inch or a cubic inch. Square inch. And you press it down. For billions of years. And then you find a way, somehow, some way to shoot it up through a funnel. Just like a volcano. And then you get diamonds. You see, coal, a lump of coal is worth nothing, right? We, we, have, we even have euphemism about that. Or a word says, he's nothing but a lump of coal. Right? But that same coal... Exerted to pressure, the right amount of pressure, the right amount of heat, produces diamonds. And I think that's what God is trying to do with each one of us today. Not just to survive this world, not just to kind of eke by, but to have genuine victories in our lives. Those who take hold of this really see scriptures in a very different light. Diamonds. You know, they can make diamonds today, right? They can simulate some of these things. They call it cubic zircona, zirconia. But it will never be the same as diamond in terms of the purity. 
diamonds. Coal or diamonds. God wants to take us and forge us a diamond in us. In Daniel chapter 4, we're going to pick it up. Just as Mark talked about, what a great point in NPR. By the time we reach chapter 3 and chapter 4, Daniel had already read to Nebuchadnezzar that you are an awesome dude. God made you awesome. And what that compliment did to Nebuchadnezzar was not good. And Mark talked about this. Instead of really being humbled by the position that God has put him in, he got more prideful. He wanted to unify the country and he set aside this symbol. We don't know what it is. He set aside this symbol and says, all nations need to bow down to this. You see, Babylon was a world conqueror of a nation. And it was a pluralistic society. And had all these different people that they've collected over the years. And Nebuchadnezzar, understanding that he was a great guy from Daniel, wanted to unify his country under one banner. And he says, listen, at home you can worship whatever you want. But in public, you need to conform and be a Babylonian. And I love the scripture here because even Nebuchadnezzar himself was humble. That God is an equal opportunity humbler of mankind. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, you're whatever, you know, an atheist. It doesn't matter because God will find a way. He will find a way to humble the proud. He said, at the end of that humbling, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my head towards heaven, and my sanctity was, sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him, who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. We think that the most prominent king that ever got converted, right, was the Roman Empire in 3rd century A.D. God has been doing this for a long, long time. Nebuchadnezzar was converted to God. See, God's always working. I love watching television. I, I, I love watching these people in power. And just to kind of see the progression of what God's going to do in their lives. And at the end of it all, Nebuchadnezzar finally figures it out. And here's what his conclusion is. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You see, the submission from a coal to a diamond is really submission to God and allowing God to work in our lives. Allowing the circumstances in our lives to shape us towards something greater. Towards something more powerful towards what he envisioned us to be. And I say that because sometimes we get really stale as a people of God and we kind of just cruise along, church on Sunday, and sometimes we mix it up and we have some food on Sunday night. And, you know, it, and our Christianity becomes, help me, help me, I'm tired, I'm sick, help me, help me, instead of really seeing that through all these things there's a greater purpose to God's plan for our lives. And Nebuchadnezzar figured that out. He says, listen, those who is prideful, those who walk as prideful, never get any, never get anything outside of themselves. They are their own 
entity. And Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest man, understood that God is able to humble anyone on the surface of the earth. You know, we're speaking about these three guys. Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews before it was destroyed in 586. There's phase one. He took the nobles and he took the good-looking guys to serve in his kingdom. Put them in this academy. Let them go through school, schooling. And he marched them all the way from Jerusalem to Babylonia. And it was tough. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel did not travel first class. They were slaves. They, they didn't even go coach. I mean, they, they, they probably walked the whole time. And yet when these people got there, they could have had such a miserable time in Babylonia, isn't it? Why is God doing all this to us? Why is God not fulfilling the promises that we see of old? They accepted God's plan for their lives. And in Jeremiah, almost the same time as the book of Daniel, this was the instruction that Jeremiah the prophet gave to the people who were taken into exile. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prosper, you too will prosper. You know, I appreciate what we do with Hope Worldwide and all the different things that we do, helping the poor and stuff, but that's only one aspect of it. The people, whether they are in Jerusalem or in Babylonia, God expects what? That they will be the salt of the earth. They will be even in exile. No excuses. God says, listen, you're going to do great things for me. Increase. Do not decrease. Seek for the prosperity of the people in the city. You know, if the West Side Church was to cease to meet in Culver City, I wonder if we've had impact here. And I'm not saying that to be facetious, and we have. But I'm saying that I look around here, hey, the potential is so much more greater. So much more greater. Jeremiah says, don't shrink back when you're taken into captivity. As a matter of fact, go out. How is it on the campuses? Are we having an impact on the campus? Are we revolutionary, like Mark talked about, on the campus? Are we revolutionary on the job place? Shadrach, Meshach, and the medical, they were not ministers. They were government officials on the job. They had this kind of impact. You see, the Bible's not talking about just religious secularization or monasterial, you know, monastery kind of living. It's talking about in, in the community, in the society, making it awesome. There's a lot of coal, a few diamonds. We get to choose today. We get to choose today what we want to be. Isn't that awesome? That's our choice. So these guys, they're trying to relate to the teens here, all right? These guys. So Nebuchadnezzar trying to unify the people and says, this is what we're going to unite under. And these guys says, ain't going to happen to us. We're not, 
yeah, we want to we want to help the society. Yeah, you know, we want to blend in. We're not weirdos. We're not living in a corner by ourselves. We're in the midst of this society, but we will not do that. We will not do that. And I want to speak a little bit to the men in this room today. You are bombarded. I am bombarded with weak and wimpy images of men. Driven by carnal desire. Driven by primal instincts. And that's why advertisers spend billions of dollars trying to convince us that we need to look at this site. Buy this thing here. Without realizing that the little that we give in degrades our character. The, 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 the compromises we make and the excuses that we make. Well, everyone does it. This is the way things are. It eats away. The number one corrosive element in the world today is what? It's water. It takes time to corrode things. And yet, if you give water enough time, it corrodes incredible pieces of metal. So I want to speak to the men here today as you look at this awesome picture cartoon. These guys, nah, we're not doing that. Yeah, we're going to do all that. Seek the prosperity. Great. But nope, nope, you can bow down. And all these guys are bowing down. I love that little guy in the right hand. His eyeballs are looking at it. Hey, what are you guys doing? Get down, get down. Nope, not doing it. I love scriptures. Show yourself a man. Don't let TV, don't let friends, don't let whatever determine who you are as a man. Amen? And I think that's why the Bible calls men to lead. It's not to put down women or whatever. It's a role that God says, listen, I've given you this privilege to lead and this responsibility as well. Train how to be a good leader. So when we don't look at something on the Internet, that's training. When we're tempted to see a little Sports Illustrated thing that comes up, that's training. It's not, it's not some thing out of It's training. Every little piece, it's training for something even greater. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 feet high on the plains of Dora in the province of Babylon. Babylon. Everyone sees this, must bow down. Then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zitar, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. I'm going to share with you a funny story. When I went to Vietnam 20 years ago, haven't seen my relatives for years. Coming to their house, and they got idols, you know, Chinese homes, idols, stuff like that. And it was this idol to my ancestors. And had all the Chinese gods and everything like that. And I haven't seen my family in years. So I go there, and I'm trying to be relatable. I go in, and my aunt gives me this incense to put on this idol. And I'm fighting it. I'm sitting there, I I can't do this, right? I can't do this. I can't do this, right? I can't do this, right? I'm not going to do it. But the pressure was so intense. It was like all my aunts were looking at me. He says, is this guy... You know, does he love us or not? You know? And if you love us, this is what you do. 
So I took the incense. I go, you know what harm's going to do? I stuck it on uh, the idol. Not my proudest moment. You know, I'm going there to change the country. And here I am putting stuff on idols, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? So I felt guilty. I went home. I kid you not. One of the idols... If you know anything about Chinese idols, there's one particular one that I've always been afraid of when I was a kid. Had dark eyes, like really dark eyes. He was the dark eye idol to me, growing up. I kid you not. I got home that night. I had eye problem for two days. I'm not kidding. It's like my eyes got dark for two days. I know I'm going mystic on you. And I, I debated to tell you or not, but I did but the point is, there's a lot of pressure to conform. And you can think that, hey, man, I'm a manly guy. I'm here to change the world. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. The king himself went to visit Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they were so valuable to his administration that he wanted to save these people. And he gave them another chance personally. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, please, I'm going to give you another chance. But they refused. And the Bible says, furious with rage. He says, I'm going to throw you into the fire. And he gives them an ultimatum. And he says at the end, he says, and what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And this is a really profound statement. What God is going to rescue you when the troubles come? What we put our faith in, what we rely on, is going to be the one that's going to have to come and save us when troubles come. And I love this. I love this story. So these guys got in there, and I got three quick practicals as we close on out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O King Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty, with respect, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Isn't that awesome? These are men. These are real men. Men of faith. Men with conviction. Men that we want to hang around, isn't it? I got three short points from that passage. Number one, we're good. Number two, God's good. And number three, everything's good. We're good, number one. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, their names were interlinked together. You seldom hear Shadrach, you seldom hear Meshach, you seldom hear Abednego by themselves, by, by itself. You always hear them together. They stick together. It's relationship. It's awesome. You know, it says, in a classic study, 
This book that I've been reading is called A Psychology of Religion and Coping. This is a preeminent work by this guy in this field. In a classic study of late 19th century, Durkham concluded that suicide is associated with lower levels of social integration. Jews, to a lesser degree, he was studying why Jews had less suicide than Catholic men and women and, and Protestant as well. He says, Jews, and to a lesser extent, Catholics and married people, he maintained, are more intimately connected to a social group and protects them from the trials of life. He says, what protects the Jews from suicide during the late 19th century? Well, he concluded that it was their relationship. It was their community. We're good together. That they love one another. That they watched out for one another. That what prevented these guys from committing suicide was their relationship in one another. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Here's a current stat. Men die by suicide 3.5 times more often than women. And, and I figured it out yesterday. Men are so isolated sometimes. I went to the women's thing. I snuck a peek inside. They were talking and talking to each other. They talk a little bit on stage. And they break up into their little grooves. They talk. It was awesome. They go to the bathroom together. I saw this one woman. She was coming. I was manning the hope for whatever, you know, booth. And then this woman asked me, thought I knew something. She says, where's the women's bathroom? I said, follow the women. There's a whole line of them. Just follow them. I don't know where. Just follow them. White males account for seven of ten suicides in 2015. I don't think Asian men commit suicide that much here because... We're scaredy cats. It's scary, you know. <laughs> Solomon noticed, and he wrote, he says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom, I'm, 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 for whom am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Loneliness is a miserable business. Let's get in there with one another. Amen? Let's do what the Bible says. It's simple. Love one another. Let's get involved. Under pressure. It says, turn away from it all like a blind man. Sat on a fence, but it don't work. You can check out, but it won't work. Keep coming up with love. But it's so slashed and torn. This world's definition of love, he says, is so slashed and is so torn. Number two, God is good. Because love's an old-fashioned word. And love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. And love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. This is our last dance. This is ourselves under pressure. Not a great lyrics. There's some great lyrics in this world. People figure some things out. This is ourselves under pressure. 
whether it's the world's pressure, social pressure, economic pressure, this is ourselves under pressure. Last point, everything is good. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange was happening. Something strange. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that when you may be overjoyed, when his glory is revealed. When that diamond shoots up that volcano and comes out, it's shimmering. It's clear. It's durable. That's the glory of God. That's the glory that God wants us to have. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you that uh, you stooped down to make us great, God. You could have just left us alone and allowed things, life, to beat us up, crush us, and throw us away like so many people. Help us, God. Help those who are visiting with us today and sit down, study together, and see what the hope that we have is all about and that it is in you. God, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have a great week, everybody. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.